morning. The scripture for this week is on page six of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. It comes from the book of Matthew, chapter eight, verses one through 17. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Thank you, sister. Last week, we finished up our close study of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And today we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Matthew, starting with verse 1 of chapter 8. We're going to move a little bit more quickly from here on out, but uh, this is a fine passage for us to camp out on and to study. So let's do that together, but first let's pause and pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're, we are asking that you would come and have compassion upon us because we resist you. Uh, we don't even know what we need from you, um, but we need your mercy for you not to look upon us to find what we deserve to hear from you, but out of the generosity and grace of your heart, what you insist that we hear freely by grace. Help us to hear good news. Help us to hear about Jesus. Help us to hear truth. We're submitting ourselves to you now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love teachers. Teachers are so great. You all are so great about coming up with creative, hands-on ways to instruct young kids. 
And I remember myself in the third grade, uh, we had one of these sort of object lessons uh, teaching, I think, a little bit of personal responsibility. Uh, we had a couple of class pets, uh, a lizard, a bird, and a goldfish, and you could sign up once in a while to take one of them home for a couple of days. And I remember it finally being my turn to take home the goldfish. It was a big deal. That was the coveted prize that everyone was trying to line up to sign up for. I was so excited. And I was cradling the fishbowl in the back seat of the car when suddenly my mom hit a speed bump or a pothole or something and almost all the water in the bowl spilled out all over the car and there next to me on the vital vinyl seat was this goldfish flopping around covered in water and gasping for breath and I can almost still see that picture in my head it haunts me you know and I grabbed the fish with my hand I threw it back into the bowl as fast as I could where there was only about half an inch of water left and I had to kind of tilt it to the side in order to give it enough water to keep that little thing alive. And by then I was just crying, pleading with my mom, drive faster, drive faster, trying to get home as fast as possible. It was traumatic, but I loved it. <laughs> what a fine exercise. And another thing that I loved all the time throughout school was show and tell. Maybe you're familiar with this, right, where you bring, home, bring something from home to class, maybe a toy or a favorite object from around your house, and you show the object to your classmates, passing it around the class, and then you tell them about it. You show it, and then you tell them about it, what it is, what it's for, why you like it, and I loved it. It was such a great way to share and learn, hands-on, visual, personal. God bless you, teachers, as you work through these kinds of teaching activities. You know, Jesus was always doing show and tell. His ministry was always full of words and deeds. His telling included the conversations that he had with people, as well as his teaching, like the Sermon on the Mount. His showing included his interactions with people, these stories that we read about, as well as his miracles, both showing and telling revealed the same thing, who Jesus was and what he came to do, the kingdom of God. And that's what makes passages like today's stories about Jesus' healing ministry so important. Just as important as teaching passages like the Sermon on the Mount. These healings are show and tell. They're critical to understanding who Jesus is. You cannot understand his identity or his ministry without grappling with healing passages like the one before us today. Now, I know some of you are already saying, are you seriously expecting me to believe in miracles? Sorry, science just seems to be disproving that miraculous healings aren't possible. Is that you? Is that the thoughts of your own mind and heart? And I totally get your hesitation. Let's talk some more. Let's engage. And especially as we enter into Q&A right after the sermon time, we'd love to discuss further. If 
But I think even if you're not so sure about the miracles themselves, if you could give it a chance right now, if all of us together could peer into this passage, I think we learn a lot about the nature and character of Jesus. We even learn a lot about ourselves. Because this passage offers illuminating answers to three questions. And we're going to look at each of these in succession. Three questions. One, who did Jesus heal? Secondly, what did Jesus heal? And thirdly, how did Jesus heal? We'll raise each of those questions and we'll see how the passage answers it. Who, what, and how about Jesus' healing? Let's take a look. So number one, who did Jesus heal? And the answer is every kind of person. He didn't heal every person, but he did heal every kind of person. In verse 2 through verse 4, Jesus heals a man with leprosy, which of course was an incurable disease. Lepers were totally powerless to fix themselves. They were also totally unable to make a living, the social outcasts that they were, which meant they almost always lived in abject poverty. Then in verses 5 through 13, we see that Jesus heals the paralyzed servant of a centurion. A Roman centurion was the commander of Roman troops. So to the Jews of Jesus' day, this centurion would have represented the forces of occupation and oppression. He was the enemy. As one commentator put it, the centurion was the nearly, nearly the equivalent of a Nazi captain in France during the World War II era. And the centurion was also a Gentile, an ethnic and religious outsider. But despite all of this, Jesus not only engages the centurion, he sees this faith in him, and he sees his faith as a sneak preview of God's plan to gather people from every ethnic group from around the world. And so in verse 11, he exclaims, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And then in verses 14 and 15, towards the bottom there, Jesus heals the mother-in-law of Peter. Peter, who was not only one of Jesus' disciples, but also one of his best friends. So what do we have? Who did Jesus heal? Jesus heals the powerless and poor. And Jesus healed the powerful and the wealthy. He healed Jews, and he healed Gentiles, ethnic and religious insiders, and ethnic and religious outsiders. He healed not only friends and family, he healed even his enemies. Jesus extended his restorative grace and compassion to every kind of person without reservation. And here's what's so remarkable about this. What's our compassion like? What's my compassion like? Our compassion tends to flow most naturally towards people who are like us or whom we like. 
to our own tribe, to people that reflect a little bit of ourselves back to ourselves. Because we love to give compassion to ourselves. Jesus wasn't like that. He was always crossing barriers, wasn't he? Socially and economically and ethnically, even doing things that would have been taboo according to common custom. So consider this, friends. To whom do you need to consider redirecting your compassion with the redemptive intentionality of Jesus? What barriers have you been most unwilling to cross? Whether socially or temperamentally or ethnically or economically or geographically, and maybe you harbor spite towards the wealthy, don't want to serve, don't have a heart of compassion. Maybe you secretly feel the homeless are undeserving of your care. What barriers are you most unwilling to cross? Do you know that Jesus always healed by grace? He didn't care for people only if they thought they deserved it. In fact, he loved most when people acknowledged that they didn't deserve it, which was precisely what we hear from the centurion. When he says, I don't deserve to have you under my roof. Jesus didn't say, wait, healing, hold on, let's do a background check. Make sure you're worthy of my grace. No. One commentator, in fact, wrote that this story illustrates this important gospel principle. That God gives his grace freely to whomever he wills. Sometimes to the very last person we expect. And this passage really comes alive, of course, when I start to realize that I'm that last person we expect to receive the kindness and compassion of Jesus. See, because the only real way to understand the power of this passage is not to start by putting yourselves first and foremost in the shoes of Jesus, giving compassion, but rather by seeing yourselves in the position of the, the leper and the servant of the centurion and the centurion himself and Peter's mother-in-law, people that are desperate for the help and the healing of God. Is that you today? That's who Jesus heals. What does Jesus heal? What does Jesus heal? Here's the answer this passage gives us to that question. The answer is this. What does Jesus heal? The whole person. The whole person. Jesus restored people physically but he also restored them spiritually as well as socially. Jesus restored people physically. Well, this is obvious. We're talking about physical healing. In verse 6, the centurion says to Jesus, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus went out of his way to relieve people's suffering. Are you in pain today, friends? The eye of Christ is upon you. He was making their bodies work rightly again. Do you know that Jesus cares about people's physical bodies and not just people's souls? Do you know that your physical pain 
matters to God. And nothing is too small for him. I love the fact that verses 14 and 15 record the healing of not some intractable disease, not some congenital condition, but a fever. Just a fever. Now, we know fevers can get bad, but here we're only told it's a fever. Look, there's nothing about your condition of pain and sorrow that ever works below the radar of your all-seeing and all-loving Savior. But he doesn't just restore people physically. Jesus restores people spiritually too. Notice how Jesus never just waves kind of a, a magic wand when he heals people. He always engages with people with their souls. He's always after people's hearts. So sometimes he'll ask questions. He's getting them into conversation. He's inviting them to reflect upon their own hearts. Like in verse 7, the centurion wants Jesus to come and heal his servant. And Jesus says, almost with sort of obvious understatement, shall I come to heal him? Questions. Always asking questions. He's asking the centurion to probe his own heart. What does he really want of Jesus here? At other times, Jesus tells people to keep their healing a secret. Like in verse 4, immediately after healing the leper, Jesus says to him, what? See that you don't tell anyone. It was the worst PR strategy in the world. At least if you were trying to draw a crowd and get famous. But that was the thing. Jesus wasn't trying to get famous, and he wasn't trying to draw a crowd because he knew that being wowed by a miracle could actually be the worst thing for people if it distracted them from noticing their spiritual bankruptcy. If they just wanted a wonder worker and not a savior, if they didn't see and sense their need to be saved from their sin. So Jesus said, shh, amazing. That's how committed he was to people's spiritual condition, not just to their physical healing. It reveals his priorities. The healing of their hearts mattered more to him even than the healing of their hand. And that's the same with you. It's also why sometimes right in the middle of a healing, Jesus would offer some tough talk. Like in verse 12, when he warns, the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, what a mood killer, right? I mean, we're having this great moment of a person being physically restored, and here Jesus is talking about judgment. But he does this because he wants people to know, wants us to know. Though no matter how sick they were on the outside, they were even more sick on the inside. That if you reject God, he'll reject you. That if you're running from God's presence, one day he'll remove his presence. Every good and beautiful thing. And all will be left will be darkness and sorrow and sadness. And so will you run to him? Will you come to him? Will you ask him for healing? And salvation. He's causing people to reflect, even with tough talk. And when people responded to him well, nothing excited Jesus more. Even more than physical healing itself, what was it that amazed Jesus when interacting with the centurion? 
We're told when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Leprosy is cleansed and healed. The lame walk, the blind see, and the thing that excites Jesus the most is faith. When a person just squeaks out even the smallest, I trust you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. That's what brought amazement to the heart of Christ. And that's because he always wanted the grace of healing to penetrate right into people's hearts. Because he restored people spiritually and not just physically. But he also restored people socially, didn't he? One of the greatest gifts that Jesus gave to the man with leprosy was healed relationships. Remember, lepers were forced to live outside the cities, in leper colonies, far from home, work, far from their families, no friends. They were totally socially ostracized. They were the ultimate social rejects, literally. And that's why Jesus tells him after healing him in verse 4 to go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And there he's referring to the Jewish custom of publicly confirming, certifying that someone is finally cleansed of leprosy. Why? So that he could be reinstated to community. So he could be brought back in. So that he could hug his family again. That he could finally return home. I mean, can you imagine what this must have meant to the now former leper? I think one of the most powerful moments in this story is when Jesus reaches out and touches this leper in verse 3. I mean, I wonder how many years it had been up to that point since that man had experienced the touch of another human being. And here, by the compassion of Christ, this man's restoration into community started with one person finally moving near to him. Jesus heals our broken relationships. The way sin alienates us from each other, he restores us socially and he restores us spiritually and physically. Jesus heals the whole person. Before we move on, can we apply just a few of these insights together? Maybe today what's most on your mind is your physical healing. Or maybe some circumstance that's really pressing in on you some condition that you can't overcome. You're asking God to heal your body or stop the pain or fix your circumstances. Maybe you're saying, God, are you willing? You need to hear Jesus respond, yes, I am willing. But you also have to pause and remember that Jesus is also after your soul, yes, even in your pain, even in your physical condition. 
And so here's a question. What if God right now is also asking a question about your soul? What if, as Jesus did with the centurion, he's asking you to reflect about your standing with God or your knowledge of his compassion or about the things that you love or the things that you need? Questions, just raising questions. Are you hearing them? Because sometimes our pain, as it's been said before, is God's megaphone to us, speaking to our heart. Do you hear him? Do you hear him today? Jesus also calls us to be his continuing ministry of restoring people, ministering to the whole person. And so we're called to seek our neighbor's physical restoration, like serving neighbors in crisis through our safe families ministry, a way to care for families and kids before they end up in the foster care system. To feel compelled to feed the hungry, to house the homeless, to care physically for your next door neighbor in need. We're called to seek our neighbor's social restoration. Friends, who's the outcast, the outcast in today's society right here in our own neighborhood? The one that no one wants to be around. Or maybe in your workplace, the one that no one wants to be around. In Jesus' name, befriend them. Draw near to them. There's no proverbial leper that Jesus was not willing to touch and to save and to heal and to love. We're called to seek our neighbor's spiritual restoration, telling people about Jesus, caring for their souls. Remember, the greatest act of compassion is to invite people to respond spiritually to Jesus. This was Jesus' priority. Is it yours? For him, it wasn't enough just to heal their hands without also healing their hearts. Is it enough for you? In fact, if you want some help in learning how to share your faith, we have a great seminar that's coming up in partnership with Grace Downtown, September 24th in the morning. It's called Everyday Evangelism, Overcoming Challenges to Sharing Your Faith. It's led by a very gifted and experienced instructor who in a very down-to-earth way can give some helpful lessons in how to just be authentic in the way that you tell others around you about what God has done for you and what has God has done in Christ for the world. Everyday Evangelism, September 24th, sign up for it. You know, past Christians, past generations have tended to focus only on people's spiritual needs through evangelism. I think this current generation of Christians tend to focus only on people's physical needs through social action. But Jesus never chose between the two, did he? His deeds were always accompanied by words, and his words were always accompanied by deeds because Jesus was always interested in ministering to the whole person. Do you care about people's humanity? Then you got to love them head to toe and everything in between. And we've got to do it everywhere we are, no matter where we are. Notice how Jesus encountered the centurion, not in the temple or synagogue, not in the church building, so to speak, but on a city street. 
As one commentator put it very helpfully, the church cannot wait for people to enter its doors. We need to meet people where they are, one by one, at work, at play, and in our neighborhoods, and tell them of the Lord, for Jesus still brings healing to people of all nations. We walk the streets of this neighborhood and the aisles of your workplaces and the hallways of your homes this week with new open eyes, ready to extend the whole person targeting compassion of Jesus. Who did Jesus heal? Every kind of person. What did Jesus heal? The whole person. Finally, how did Jesus heal? By identifying with our suffering. We'll wrap up with this last point. Listen, Jesus had power to heal with just a word. We see him do that on a few occasions, even in this short passage, but we see it throughout Matthew. In verse 3, he says to the leper, with words, be clean. And in verse 16, we're told he drove out spirits with a word, just commanding them. And he healed the sick. So why in verse 3 then, with the leper, does he reach out his hand and touch the man? He could have done it with words. Why does he touch? And why in verse 15 does he also reach out his hand and place it upon Peter's mother-in-law's hand? Why? He's giving us a visual. He's giving us a picture. He's showing us more clearly how personally, how intimately he always identifies with our brokenness and our suffering. Your pain is his. Your disease is his. Your problem is his. It's why he came in the first place. Because, of course, this was true not only in his incarnation when the Son of God took on human flesh and became a human being, which meant he signed up to be afflicted by every pain and trouble and sickness and disease that we would be afflicted by. It means he chose suffering. Nobody chooses suffering in this world, not a single human being. We are born into it as part of our human condition Jesus, the Son of God, chose it to identify with you and with me, but not just in his incarnation, but also in his cross by bearing all of our human suffering upon himself that he might bring final healing. Which is why Matthew closes this passage in verse 17 by quoting from the Old Testament. He said this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. And of course, Matthew there is just taking a small, short section of this wonderful extended passage that you may be familiar with from Isaiah 53 that so clearly illustrates what Jesus chose to do for us in order to save us, in order to bring us whole healing, namely to substitute himself for us, to take our place, to bear our burdens. Listen to this. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is good news, friends. You have a Savior that will reach out and touch and identify and say, everything that's wrong with you, I will suffer the consequences for. Every wrong deed and disease that afflicts you, I will bear on my back, in my soul, suffering the hell and judgment that you deserve. And I'll give you the gift of life, the gift of wholeness. I'll give you eternal life in exchange if you'll come and trust in me. This is good news. And what's even better news than what we have in this passage here is this. Notice, these healings were temporary, weren't they? The leper was going to get sick again. The centurion's servant would one day die again. Surely that wasn't Peter's mother-in-law's last fever. But all of these healings always point forward to the cross where Isaiah 53 would be fully fulfilled and where the healing of Jesus would be finally and truly accomplished. Where by his death all of your spiritual diseases and afflictions would be taken by him. And by his resurrection he would promise to you that if you would trust in him and if you're united to him, his resurrection would be yours. Which means one day, someday, there will be for you no more tears. One day, someday, there will be for you no more sickness, no more disease, no more death, no more broken relationships, no nor nothing of darkness and evil and sin because Jesus paid it all and he rose for it all for you. That's good news for broken and sick and diseased people like you and me. This is the great trajectory of this passage that Matthew invites us into to see Jesus as your healer, your ultimate healer. Maybe a little bit here and now, but one day in fullness and the full force of the gospel. And all he asks of us, if you want to know how to receive it, is to simply respond in a way that would amaze him so. How do you amaze God? How do you amaze God? By daring to open up your heart and simply believe. To have faith. Faith that admits that you're weak. To be able to say with the centurion, look, I, I don't deserve this. I, I want it, but I don't deserve to have you under the roof of my house, let alone in the cover of my soul. How do you receive this, this promise of wholeness and total healing? To know that it's given to you by grace. Not based upon what you have done and not because of a clean background check that would come out if Jesus dared to look. But simply as a gift to undeserving sinners like you and me. Do you want to know the compassion of God like this? Do you want a rescue and do you want to be whole again like this?
Here is Jesus, your healer, available to you. Will you receive him? Maybe for the first time, maybe afresh and anew today. Let's pray. We ask that you would come near to us, doing what you've always done, asking questions, probing our hearts, drawing near. Oh, Jesus, draw near to us today. We need your healing. We need your salvation. We need hope in a broken world and the broken lives we live. Restore us and restore us again by the power of your death and resurrection, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's